Turn with me in your Bibles, please, for our first scripture reading to Psalm 19. For our visitors, we normally have the New Testament here in this slot, but when we reach the end of the New Testament, the the end of the book of Revelation, then we, we, we begin reading through the Psalms and we have found that that balances better in the long run with, with our scripture readings. So it's almost two to one, not quite, but almost two to one in the New Testament slot and Old Testament slot. So we put the Psalms in with the New Testament and there's good reason to do that, isn't there? Because we have the Psalms being relevant and sung throughout all ages of the church. So Psalm 19, verse 1, hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, (coughs) which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run his race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. In the uh, title of the psalm, uh, verse 1 in the Hebrew, we have to the chief musician. This tells us once again that that uh, the Psalter, uh, over much of its uh, uh, statements about itself, contains that wonderful uh, approbation, uh, that command to make use of the Psalms in the public worship of God. To the chief musician, to the choir master, to the leader of the music, if you will, in the worshiping assembly. It is a Psalm of David. So, uh, David, the, the one who spake by the Lord, uh, the prophet who also ordered the, uh, the change of the worship by the Spirit of God in his day when the Levites no longer carried the tabernacle around, they carried the music instead. David, that great uh, psalmist of Israel, the, as he is called in Scripture, the sweet 
psalmist of Israel wrote this psalm as well. All right, so the psalm neatly divides into two sections. We have general revelation and special revelation. Very simply, very easily divided. I remember the first time I ever recognized that. I I must have been in my 20s. I looked at that and I went, look at that. It divides really neatly along these lines. So what do we find out in verses 1 through 6, this first section? First of all, notice... The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Heavens and firmament, that is simply a Hebrew parallelism. You look up, you see the glory of God. Day unto day, speech, night unto night, knowledge. So we see, first of all, that it is from one end of the heaven to the other. We see that it is every single day, right? And it, it has gone out through all the earth. The earth there is the word land, right? It, so it's not only the heavens, but it is showed forth throughout all the world, everywhere. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now let's stop and talk about that for just a moment because there is much confusion with regard to what we would call natural revelation. You know me, I'm not a natural theology guy. I'm a natural revelation guy. And I make that distinction in speech because I do not believe that the heavens pre- present a, um, a theology that is adequate. Our confession says the same thing. Uh, we will descend at one point in our confession in that first chapter to say the scriptures are most necessary. Most necessary. The psalm makes that known. But what is it that what glory is it that the heavens do declare? It's an interesting thing to think about, right? Because the natural man, he'll look up at the heavens, and many of them have said, oh yeah, there, there has to be a God. Yeah, look at that, right? And they will be taken with the, with the majesty of, quote, nature or the cosmos. They'll be taken with the complexity of it. They'll be taken with all kinds of things. But they're always taken with it in such a way so that they elevate some things and, and abase some other things so that they might conceive God after their own image rather than after God's image. Romans chapter 1 tells us that the things that are made, including mankind himself, right? Including mankind himself. That the things that are made witness to Three things, God's power, his Godhead, and his judgment. Those three things are brought to us very clearly by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. Also, it is interesting to think about this, and this is that uh, it is that there is a, uh, there's an intuitive knowledge. It is not revelatory in the sense that it is given in words. It is an intuitive knowledge. Man intuitively knows God. He doesn't have to be taught with words because the heavens are declaring it to him. Now, I'm not saying that this is knowledge that is without words. That's not what I'm saying. It can be reduced to words like the apostle does in Romans chapter 1. But no one needs to hear teaching in words to know the true God because 
He has declared himself and he has made himself known through that which is made within and without of mankind. Now what is it about the natural man or what does, sorry, what is it about God, let's say it this way, that the natural man doesn't understand or as we hear in Romans 1, refuses to understand. It's really, you know, it's really not that God is creator. There are many that are willing to affirm that God is creator. That God is sustainer. There are many willing to affirm that as well. Perhaps not universally, but many. No, there, there's, there are all kinds of truths that the natural man receives by his look at nature, if you will. We can call it nature, the cosmos, whatever it is. Um, but there are some things that he will not receive. And that is, he will not receive the true God. We learn that while he may affirm a creator, a sustainer, a majestic being, he will at every turn reject God's morality. He will at every turn reject what God says is right so that he can do whatever it is that he wants to. And in order to do that, he will take that creation which witnesses to the true God in his breast at all times, and he will turn that over, and he will make an image of four-footed beasts, of other things. He will reject the morality of that God so that he can do whatever it is that he wants. And that's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. What is told us here in Psalm 19, which Paul, I think, gathers up to us for understanding in Romans 1 is the universality of the knowledge of God, the universality of the proclamation of God. It is every day and everywhere. That is all time and every place. There's no place where that speech or language is not set forth, where that communication is not had. It is everywhere. And it is an unmistakable revelation because it is like the sun that goes forth in his heat in his heat in other words it's not a weak revelation at all how many of us are are able when the sun is hot in the sky to say oh it's dark well not really not truly we can we can grope around as if we were in the darkness and everyone else will laugh right that revelation of god the majesty the power, the Godhead of God, the righteous judgment of God, all of those things are amply seen by everyone of all time, everywhere, but they are rejected. That's the point. And so, what do we have left to us then by, by the end of verse 6? The only thing we have is there's nothing that's hidden from the heat. May I say, the heat of that revelation. Nothing's hidden from it. So then, do we have any hope? It's all heat. We do. And so in verse 7, the psalmist turns and he says, The law of the Lord is perfect. It is that which converts the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It is that which makes wise ones out of simple ones. The statutes of the Lord are right. It is they which rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It is that which enlightens the eyes. Nature, the cosmos, cannot do any of that. 
Paul will tell us the extent to which the cosmos witnesses. It witnesses all the way to the extent that folks are without excuse. And that's as far as it goes. So when the natural man stands before God, we'll we'll remember the words of the 20th century philosopher Bertrand Russell. Some of you will, will, will remember that name. Some of you perhaps have read him. He wrote a book that was titled, Why I Am Not a Christian. 275, 300 pages, something like that. Can be reduced down to maybe one or two sentences. I don't have enough information. Well, that's not what Psalm 19 says. And that's not what Romans 1 says. When he stood before his creator, when he died, and tried that with him, I'm sure what the Lord did was to open up to his own conscience all of the witness that he did have to the truth of the Creator and the judge of all the earth. Beloved, we will all stand before that judge. Now, the question is, will we stand knowing that the law of the Lord is perfect and it is that which converts the soul? Will we turn to God's Word, His special, what we call His special revelation? And will we learn of sin and righteousness and judgment and grace and mercy and peace? Because those are really only found in Scripture. And relief for your conscience, beloved, will never be found in a running stream. It will never be found in a beautiful mountain scene. Because as you've heard before from this pulpit, what is happening at the base of that mountain that you can't really see? Nature is writ red in fang and claw. You see, what God has left in a witness is not just the beautiful mountain scenes, but the blood and the gore and the death of sin. And if we would know the witness rightly, we would be without excuse. So it's very important then that when we look at the creation... We, we view the creation through the lens of Scripture. Otherwise, we will be left um, confused. We'll be left in rebellion. All right, so then, <clears throat> the statutes of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Notice, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, while the heavens will be rolled up as a scroll. The fear of the Lord endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and they are altogether righteous. There's not a hole. There's not a chink. There's not an imperfection in Scripture. It is completely perfect from one end to the other. And so we are warned then. We are warned that we ought to embrace them. We ought to keep them. We are told that they are more desirable than gold, than much fine gold. They are sweeter also than honey. And then we're told how much we need them in verse 12. How much we need the scriptures. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Very often the word is a a mirror for us. Right? James will call it that. He will, he will call it a, a glass. And when we look in that 
great word of God, oftentimes we see in that mirror sins that we would not otherwise see. We'll see the blemishes. We'll see the spots. We'll see the imperfections. We'll see our sins. And we won't see them without Scripture. Right? So, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. And then, 13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. So we don't, we don't magnify God's mercy to the point of presumption. We also don't magnify God's judgment to the point of condemnation of all those who call upon him. In Scripture, we learn that wonderful uh, equanimity of God's mercy and justice. Is how David puts it here. So then, um, then I shall be upright and innocent from the great transgression. I, I like the King James translation here. Not much transgression, but the great transgression. And the great transgression is obviously apostasy. Right? So, beloved, be in the Word. Stay in the Word. Meditate upon the Word. Uh, the heavens are great. They do witness some truth, but not enough. The Scriptures are most necessary if we would be saved. Let the words of my mouth then and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And please, do not descend in hearing that into some kind of merit. What David is saying is, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of, of my heart be acceptable in thy, in thy sight, O Lord, because you are my strength and you are my Redeemer. Let it be through faith, then, that I approach thee in the inner man and in the outer man. Psalm 19. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer.